You're listening to the Michael Bungay Stanya Find Your Great Work interview series. You can order Michael's Find Your Great Work book, download free resources, and find other interviews with leading thinkers and practitioners at findyourgreatwork.com. Today I'm talking with Susie Pomeranz, and Susie is the founder of Innovative Leadership International. Um, and you know, I came across Susie probably two or three years ago when um, I got a hold of a copy of her book, which is called Seal the Deal. And it is a terrific book for teaching and setting out the basic sales process for selling into the professional service firm world or being somebody in the professional service firm world and, and being a seller. And um, so I was like, oh, this is a really great book and got to know Susie a little and in fact, I think of Susie less as a, a sales coach and much more as just a masterful coach. And in fact, Susie is um, a, a, a master certified coach, one of the, the elite of the coaching profession. So we're very lucky to be talking to her today about her take on great work. Now, she um, worked for a number of years at DuPont um, and as an executive coach for DuPont. And has um, gained a great deal of experience in coaching folks who are specifically within the legal profession. But in the recent years, her work has shifted to coach not just lawyers, rather they're just, but not, not only lawyers, but also executives in the highest level of Fortune 500 companies. So she's working with people, senior executives in, in big corporations about leadership and what does it take for leadership to truly flourish in these organizations. So I'm excited to be talking to Susie. Susie, thanks for being on the call today. It's my pleasure. I'm so honored that you asked me. Well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a joy to be talking to you. And I want to know, I'm sure I didn't get that introduction quite right. So what would you add to that introduction so people have a sense of who you are and where you come from? Well, I'm a mom of two little ones and I'm a very big goofball. So, um, but other than that, I've been doing some blogging. Uh, this past year was a year of learning how to blog and learning how to deal with social networking. So, um, that's my new, that's my new great work is cracking the internet code. (laughs) Good luck with that. Cause it's like, just as you think you get a handle on it, it all changes again. I mean, just as I get the sense of what blogging is about, Twitter pops up and, you know, microblogging and you have to master that and get a sense of how do you show up on that without it consuming every single waking moment of your life. Ah, you have to schedule it. <laughs> That's what I, I love Twitter, yeah, but you got to do it. I give myself 10 minutes a day. <laughs> That's it. There you go. There's a top tip immediately. If you're finding your life consumed by Twitter and blogging and the like, <laughs> be disciplined and schedule it. So, yes, I'm, you, a, I'm a Twitter addict. <laughs> at 10, 10 minutes a day, I think you're doing pretty well. Now, Susie, I ask the people I've been talking to to start us off with a story of great work because, quite frankly, I'm just nosy and I love hearing people's stories. So I wonder if you'd tell us a story. Yeah, well, there's so many. And and, um, as I read your book, which I love, and I'm thinking about, you know, when was I doing my most meaningful work? When was I most passionately engaged? Or when did I make a really big, horrible mistake that felt like a failure in the moment, but turned out to be the thing that compelled me and propelled me forward. And there are just so many stories. So I think if I pick probably the biggest one would have to be when I left teaching, I was a school teacher 
uh, got my master's in teaching, taught elementary school, and that's pretty much all I had planned to do my whole life until I found out that that really wasn't cutting it for me on a number of levels. And I I got into teaching because I love children, and I got out of teaching because I love children. Right. <laughs> and so I had six. I had about six months savings, and I gave myself those six months to figure out. What could I do with teaching skills? How could I translate that into the workforce? Mm-hmm. And in order to figure that out, I learned and taught myself all about informational interviews. And that's something that has really come in handy, not only for me, but for my coaching clients. Um, because informational interviews allow you to talk to people and find out anything you want to find out about what you could possibly do next or where you can get more information. And people love to help. So these informational interviews, I, di- I started with three people that I knew and trusted and said, okay, what is it? And this was, mind you, I don't know, 17 years ago that I did this. Right. I said, what is it that you do for a living and what do you like best about it? What do you like and dislike about it? And I said, what do you think I could do knowing me and knowing the skill set I have as a teacher? What do you think I could do in corporate America? Um, what do you think I should definitely avoid doing in corporate America? <laughs> Who do you recommend I talk to and what do you me- recommend I read? And those are the five questions I asked everybody and I, I ended up... Um, following up religiously on every recommendation of who they said I should talk to. And so in that six months, I interviewed 150 people. Wow. And it was out of that. Yeah, and it's out of that that my coaching business got started because one of the people that I interviewed introduced me then to the president of her company, which was a transformational coaching company, and they put me through a really rigorous training and launched me on my way. And the rest is history, as they say. I guess. (laughs) So so let me ask you, I mean, that's... I mean, it's a recurring theme with some of the people I've spoken to in, in these conversations that giving yourself some time and space is critical to helping figure out um, where the great work comes from. But one of the things yes. I'd be curious about with the informational interviews is the seduction of following other people's advice and what if you're getting contradictory advice and what if they tell you stuff that you're not sure if it's true or not? How do you, I mean, I know you're talking about informational interviews, but there's something, and I'm trying to articulate it here, there's something about how do you figure out what's true for you by yes. self-reflection? How do you figure out what's true for you by what you hear from feedback coming at you? Yeah, that's great because I had those same, those exact same concerns going into it. And, um, and what I found was the more people I talked to, I was really looking for a pattern to emerge. It wasn't so much following advice. They, they felt like they were giving me advice, but I was looking for some themes and patterns. And some of the original themes and patterns I found were that the easiest transfer from teaching into corporate America was in training, in corporate training. And I actually did some of that when I started my coaching business. But the internal barometer of whether or not it's true for me or right for me, in my case, has always been tremendous fear. <laughs> so the, the point at which I feel enormous fear... Like, how could I start a business? I don't know anything about business. Um, That's when, in reflection, at the time I didn't know it, but now in reflection, the times in my life when I felt that enormous fear are times when I've been launching into my great work. Nice. You know, um, in in another piece of work I did, I talked about anxiety being a tap on the shoulder to say, hey, something important is happening here. Exactly. You're talking to with this, uh, this fear or this anxiety. Yeah, and it was really about reframing it for myself because I knew I was fearful in the moment. And and 
at the time I just said, okay, let's reframe it. So physiologically, what does fear mean? How does fear show up in the body? And when I looked at the specifics of where it was showing up in my body, I was able to say, hey, that's an awful lot like excitement. Nice. So maybe this isn't really fear like don't take action, don't take a risk. Maybe this is just excitement about launching into the unknown. And so when I was able to reframe it for myself that way, every time I felt the fear that was about to stop me, I could say to myself, okay, this is how you know you're alive. Keep going. <laughs> Very nice. I, I mean, I love that connection, which is <clears throat> if, you, if you didn't know if physically what are the symptoms and if you didn't know is this fear or is this excitement or in fact are they the same thing, um, I think there's, that's very wise because there's another type of fear you might get, which is that instinctive fear around actually this is something I shouldn't be doing, this is something I should be avoiding, and that might show up differently physically. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Very cool. And the other, the other thing I think is magical about your story, Susie, is that piece around, well, there's a number of things. One is talking to a lot of people because instead of going, this person will have the answer, what you're actually saying is, sort of like the wisdom of teams, there will be patterns emerging and from how I triangulate against what people say and what they offer up, I can start deciding what, what, is, what is true for myself. You know, one, yes. of the, one of the things I bang on about to people is, you know, feedback is not the truth. It's, you know, it's somebody else's opinion and you get to choose what you want to say yes to and what you want to say, you know, that doesn't really resonate with me. And getting a lot of feedback allows that, that, allows that process to be easier. Absolutely. And, and at every point you have to do a gut check. I mean, I can't remember even the specifics of everyone I spoke to or what they told me. But, you know, when you're looking for themes and patterns, it, it allows you to step back from attaching too much importance or significance to any one person's input. But it's kind of like the idea of a mastermind group, you know, and, right. and, um, and that's something else that I that I think is a very important part of business is having a group of people who you trust that you can talk to about your business who are focused on your success. Well, let me ask you, I mean, that's very interesting, and I'm assuming from that you use a mastermind group at the moment? I do, yeah. yeah. And so do I, and I know they're a very powerful support mechanism for me in, in the work that I do. In, in, the, in the executive coaching you do, and you've you know, worked with literally thousands of people in various industries, is that something you offer up to them as building a mastermind group, or is, it just, is that just something for entrepreneurs? Oh, I think it's for anybody. The idea of mastermind, if you go back to Napoleon Hill's original concept of it, is that if you have a group of minds that are focused on the same situation, problem, issue, challenge, whatever, you end up getting a far richer um, pot of soup, if you will, than if it's just one mind focusing on it. So I think that's a very valuable thing inside organizations at any point in your career, and especially for solopreneurs, people who are, you know, like you and I are out on our, well, you have people, but my people are all virtual. So right. I'm pretty much on my own. So it's great to get that input from other um, business people. Now, my assumption is, you know, your, your company is called Innovative Leadership. You're focused on providing <clears throat> leadership skills and, and abilities and support to the executives with whom you work. How, what are some of the ways you encourage them to step forward into to doing great work? And maybe as a, a, a partner question to that, what do you see that gets in the way of them doing more great work? Well, they get in their own way. Uh, as do we all. <laughs> so, so, say, say a little bit more about that because that, you know, 
I nod my head when I hear you say that, but it also feels a bit coachy to say that. So what do you mean they get in their own way? So it's um, places where we let our fears or mindsets or beliefs about any number of things be the thing that stops us from taking the actions that we would take if those things weren't there. So we can do these little mind games with ourselves. Um, we can psych ourselves out. And I see that a lot with my clients. I see them sort of making up stories. I'll tell you, just going back to the informational interviews, I had this one client who was a Ph.D., and embarrassed about it. In his mind, that was something he was very proud of internally. He had worked really hard to get his PhD, but he was not out about it in his company at all. And so that, and, and so in a number of conversations, you know, we had started talking about how he could do informational interviews to increase his visibility in the company and to share his personal platform with a number of people and, and to let people know that he's got this research ca capacity that the company is not leveraging right now. Right. And he was he was very, very, very resistant to that because he thought people would feel like he's putting them down or that he's trying to be better than they are or that it's not going to be respected given that he's not in a research role. And he had all these stories that he had made up about it um, that hindered him from taking action. And then once he took that first step and started to realize, you know, I started playing with him and calling him doctor, you know. <laughs> He'd call me, I'd say, hey, doctor. I'd email him back, you know, to doc, um, just to help him start to get comfortable with it in a playful way. And then he was able to start to really leverage it. And, and within three months of starting to come out in his organization about his PhD and about his information, you know, doing these informational interviews, he got this huge promotion that allowed him to get into sort of a faculty role within the company that allows him to use his PhD skill set and get the acknowledgement and recognition that he deserves. So, I mean, there's a couple of things you're saying which, which ring true for me. One is the stories that get in our own way and how insidious those stories are in our heads um, because we assume that, that they're true. And, you know, one of the, one of the very powerful coaching questions that um, I use and that I just take from Byron Katie's work is her first question is always, well, is that true? Is that true? You know, and it's a very powerful way for challenging these sort of fictional stories that we make up about this is actually the way the state of the world is. This is actually how people feel about me. This is actually how I'm perceived. And that question, is it true, can often break that down. I'm wondering, I mean, you've talked about one of the ways that you help challenge these stories, and that's by that sort of playful teasing. Are there other any sort of cunning coach ways that you help people start unpacking and Dissembling their, uh, disassembling their own stories? Well, we look at what they want and what they perceive to be in their way because they, the stories, they don't perceive them as stories. Like you said, they perceive them as true. Right. So we take it at face value. What do they believe is true that's in their way? And in some cases, it's their boss, maybe it's their organization, maybe it's, you know, any number of things can be the reason. Um, so then we do. We just start taking that apart piece by piece and deconstructing it and looking at, well, if there was another way to cons to hold that and to consider that, um, you know, what other story would be more empowering to you? You know, once we start to, to make the, the stories explicit. Um, and sometimes people just aren't willing to give up their stories, in which case you just give them full permission to have their story and get the results that they're going to get. And then, you know, when they're ready to move forward, you move forward. So I love the idea of starting to, to author or write a new story as a way of the very act of saying, 
what would be a better story here? What would be a more powerful one? It's almost once you imagine the story, you can imagine it actually starting to unfold. Yeah, and I, I'm always careful not to say a better or more powerful story because I don't want to make their first story wrong in any way. So, so I do a lot of you know what that's that's a great story and it'll get you you know let's let's unfold that and see what results that will get you and are those results good enough for you? Is that what you want or do you want something more or do you want something different? Okay, so if you want something different, let's figure out a story that will align with the results that you intend to create. As opposed to the story that you just think is true, because that's the way the world looks today. If there was, because um, you know, as a as a, a master certified coach, I'm very I'm very eager to sort of for the people listening to this, I'm eager to squeeze you for all of your coach genius. So, how what what I mean, a lot of the people listening to these interviews are going to be uh, managers and big organizations and. One of the things that I make up, one of the stories I have about that, is a lot of people go, "Yeah, but you know all this, all this story making, great work stuff. It's all very well for senior execs, but as a manager in the middle of this big organization, how do I get more great work? How do I find ways through this?" So, if you were to offer up a, a thought or a tactic or a tool or something to one of those managers, what would you, what might you offer up? I think it, I think anybody at any stage in any organization can can provide great work and make a contribution. And it's about thinking of yourself as an asset of the organization. And are you leveraging the asset of the organization to the best results possible? You know, if if you're an organization that has a lot of employees and you're the manager, you want to make sure your employees are all doing their best work. And if you're someone who manages money, you want to make sure your money is working for you. So if you put yourself in there as a resource or an asset of the organization and you figure out how you want to leverage what's the greatest value and contribution that you can bring to the table in any given moment and sometimes that doesn't look like part of your job and so if it's not actually part of your job it's about having finding your voice and owning your power enough to be able to transform some of what you're doing so that the work that you're doing can be work that is meaningful to you and that you have passion for and that makes a difference in the way you want to make a difference. You know, that reminds me of uh, something, one of the other guys I've interviewed as part of this, a guy called Michael Neal. Um, he he has a, an approach that he sort of says to people, imagine you were a robot making these decisions, then what would you be doing? And part of the joy of the robot metaphor is it sort of gets all the messy, emotional BS stuff that you make up about what you can and can't do out of the way and just gives you another perspective into a, well, if I was being robotic about this, these are the obvious things that I would be doing. And it just sort of cuts through the, cuts through the, the murk a little bit to help get, get crisper about if I am an asset of this company, what would be most powerful, most useful that I could be doing to forward what their agenda is and also connect to what's I'm passionate about and what my great work is. Yeah, and I think it's also, at the management level, it's also about um, bringing along and growing your people. Um, And so finding, and that's not always everyone's great work at the management level. Sometimes at the management level, your great work is the more technological or technical aspects of the job. And so it's important to recognize what your own strengths are and play from those. Um, you know, so that other people can do their great work. If there's someone else on the team who's better at the people stuff than you are, then delegate. Let them do that. 
you know, do what you're best at. Susie, I'm, I'm looking at the time and realizing that we're almost out of time. So in, in a moment, I just want to, I'm going to ask you where people can find out about you, where they can get in touch with you if they want to sort of carry on the conversation or learn more about the work you do. But before we do that, I'm just wondering if you had any final thoughts or comments about what does it take for great work to flourish uh, within organizations? Yeah, I think it takes people willing to take risks, um, people owning their own convictions, being true to yourself, knowing yourself, knowing your limitations, knowing your strengths, and and being willing to get yourself to go for something bigger than the status quo, being willing to get yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone with some big possibility in mind. Love that. Going for something bigger than the status quo, that's a very... It's a very nice way to frame it because the, the status quo, you know, often what I call good work is a comfortable place to be hanging out. And it takes a commitment to say status quo is not quite enough. What's the, what's the step beyond that will get me into doing more great work? Yeah, it's a commitment to growing, I think. Yeah, because it's, it's, you know, it's a slightly messy, slightly uncomfortable place to get to. And there are, there are new possibilities and new opportunities there. Yes, and unimaginable results. Exactly. Uh, which is exactly why it's exciting and terrifying at, at the same time, because it's unimaginable. You're never quite sure what might be there for you, but it's so often it's something bigger and better than you could have hoped for. Exactly. Hey, Susie, how can people find out about you? Where would they go? Um, I'm at susiepomerantz.com. That's my blog, but it also links to my um, book website and my company website and anything you want to know about where to find me on all those social media. So I'd love to connect with anybody. Perfect. And Susie, you want to just spell out Pomerantz so people know how to, and, and Susie for that matter, because they're all, they're, yeah, they're sure. worth spelling. So it's www.susiepomerantz.com. Perfect. Susie, it has been a delight, as I knew it would be, talking to you. So thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me, and congratulations on your book. Thank you, Susie. You've been listening to the Find Your Great Work interview series with Michael Bungay-Stanya. Listen to other leaders and thinkers talking with Michael about their insights on great work at findyourgreatwork.com.